Howdy, y'all. How y'all doing? Woo! Welcome to week four of Simple, uh, where we've been talking all about our mission and vision and why we do what we do as a church. Now, here's the reason why I love that video, because you know, all of you guys are ladies, if you've ever rented a car, that was you guys, right? How many of y'all have ever rented a car and you, dro- and you drove it like you stole it? Anyone? In fact, let me ask you this question. If you had the opportunity to buy a used rental car, would you do it? No, right? Because there's a principle there. When you don't own something, you have a usual tendency to rag it out, right? You do. It's just a fact. In fact, um, I'll never forget, um, one of my good friends, one of our elders, Bob, he owns a Corvette. And uh, Bob offered me, he says, hey, Chris, do you want to drive my Corvette? And, of course, you know, there's evil Chris going, <laughs> of course I do, because that's going to be me, right? And then there's the pastor side, oh, that's like, no, you shouldn't do it, all right? I won't tell you which one I kind of fed on that one. But anyway, we all have this tendency that it, we don't check the oil of something that we don't own. You don't ever get a, a rental car and say, you know what, well, we need to check the transmission fluid. Hey, let's, uh, let's switch around the tires. We just don't do that. We really don't care. Because we don't own it. Now, here's the thing, though. When you own something, you take care of it, don't you? In fact, here is the very first car that I ever purchased. All right? Um, it'll be up there. Wait for it. Wait for it. There it is. Cool. What? All right? This is my wife, fiance at the time. That's Kim. My very first car, a 1989 Isuzu Amigo. I had cars before that, but this is the one that I purchased. And I love this vehicle. Loved it, loved it. I loved feeling that wind through my hair, and I had a whole lot more hair back then. Um, and my wife actually has more hair now than she did back then. So this is us on uh, as college students. Uh, Kim is a college student. My car at Austin P. I I love that car. And see, when I, I had that car, I took care of it. When you get a brand new car, you don't eat in it, do you? Right? You don't let your kids eat in it, right? You just don't. You get in a rental car, you go through drive through of Taco Bell. You just don't care. Cheese, lettuce everywhere. It don't matter. It ain't yours, right? Same principle is when you own or rent a home. I'll never forget our very first home we ever purchased that we owned was in Auburn, Alabama, and uh, up for the this was our fifth year of marriage, and uh, really all of our first five years we were just renting, you know, apartments, and we just didn't care about it. But when we purchased our new home, oh. My wife decorated and we painted. It was so much fun, right? Um, So much fun because we owned it. You take care of stuff that you own. And when you don't own it, you really don't take good care of it. Ownership provides privilege and pride, like a sense of responsibility, if you will. But when you just rent something, eh, it ain't mine. It ain't mine. I don't care. It really doesn't matter. We rag out the things that aren't ours, but we take responsibility for what we own. And that's what I really want I want to land today in our big idea and where I want to talk about because what I'm going to do over the next 30, 35 minutes I have with you guys is I want to convince you and let you know of two things. First, I want to challenge everybody here at One, One Church to step up and to become an owner. Um, I want everybody to kind of say, you know what, I'm done spectating, I'm done consuming, and nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but I'm going to step up and I want to own this. The second thing I want to do is over the next 35 minutes, I want to paint a picture for you guys to talk about where we're going in the next two years, where we're going in the next five years, and even where we're going in the next 10 years 
as a church. Here's our big idea. When you're an owner, you no longer act like a renter. When you're an owner, you no longer act like a renter. When you own the car, it matters how you drive it. When you own the car, you check the oil, you check the transmission. Uh, you, you, I mean, it's, it's very, very important. And one of the things that we're changing today here at One Church is we're no longer doing membership. In fact, when you hear the word membership, you may think of Country Club, or you may think of Sam's Club, you may think of something like that. Membership always has, uh, like, rights, if you will. But ownership has responsibilities. So one of the things that we're going to be doing from now on is we're going to be doing an ownership class because we want everybody to become owners and own the vision and own who we are as a church. It's a subtle way of, th- of thinking, but I think it can really mean a lot the more we talk about it. Here's the thing. When I start talking about vision and where we're going, this is what you and I need to understand is this, is God has never called his people and God has never called the church to step back. He's always called the church and God's people to step up. So as we look through this and as we look about where we're going as a church, I'm just going to encourage you, don't step back, step up. I love this church. God willing, um, unless God calls me to Hawaii, I want to put that caveat on there, I am planning on spending the rest of my life here in Clarksville and at one church because I love you guys so much. Uh, This all started back in 2006. My wife and I, we moved from the Midwest and um, we moved into my parents' basement to start a new church for people who don't go to church. Very humbling. How many of you have ever moved back to your parents? Anyone? All right, so actually many of us actually, oh, that's cool, makes me feel good. Um, so we ended up moving back into my parents' basement, had two kids. We actually had our third one while in the parents' basement, got to love that. Um, uh, that is the reason why we call him Bing, all right? So anywho, um, but uh, we, uh, we uh, my wife, we moved back, she got two jobs to make ends meet, and I started working at the Walmart distribution center doing the night shift in Hopkinsville, and during the day, I was working on, we're going to start a church. We're going to start a church. And uh, I was so grateful, so thankful that um, when uh, we partnered with a church downtown, First Baptist, we decided, you know what, we're going to create a church for people who don't go to church. And I remember the very first couple that came apart with us. You know, one church at one time was just me, my wife, and my two kids. And then we invited uh, a couple to come. Bob and Laurie was the very first people that came along. And when they said, hey, we're going to be a part of this vision, our church doubled in size. It was crazy growth, right? Nuts, right? And, uh, I mean, I was so grateful and so thankful that I, I love, I, and, and we've had so many people come over the past years and say, you know what, I'm willing to become an owner. One of the questions that I get a lot is, you know what, Chris, describe one church. You know, when uh, I've hired people and when when we've, you know, looked at growing and this and that, we have a lot of people from the outside looking in who when they see everything that God has done over this church in the past seven years, they're just, they're kind of in shock and awe because I am as well. And they always ask, hey, describe one church. You know, what's happening there? What makes it so special? And the one word I always use to describe one church is this word. Messy. And let me tell you the reason why I use that word. It's because one church and doing ministry here is just messy. The reason why it's messy, the first and foremost, is because I'm messy, right? I'm, a, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. And I, I've hung out with many of you guys to know 
that all of us, we're just kind of hot messes, right? I've been to some of your houses. You're messy, right? But I'm not just talking about living room stuff. I'm just talking about us as a group of people. And I think that God has a special place in his heart for people who don't have it all together. Because those are the very same people that God has, is drawn to and calls us to. And here's the reason why I think, you know, it's a little bit messy. I'll give you a couple examples. The first one, uh, when we started one church, we decided to come to exit one area. We decided to come here because it was growing. A lot of growth happened here. One of the things we didn't realize is that, you know, it was just going to be messy, and God brought us a lot of military folk. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if any of you guys know this. I've never been in the military. Unless you, you know, include John Candy and Stripes. You know, I'm Ox. I've just never been in the military. I, I haven't. Um, and I knew nothing about military life. Now, my wife, her dad was a master sergeant. Um, my, my wife, uh, she was born at Fort Bragg. And uh, she moved like 17 times by the you know, age she was 17 years old. She had moved all over the place. She had been to, uh, into Fairbanks and, and been a lot of these places. And she would tell me about this stuff, and I would just chuckle because I've only lived in Clarksville for the longest amount of my life. And it was just amazing. And I remember God bringing us all of our military people. This is interesting. 85% of our church is military or retired military. 85% of our church. So I would hang out with military folks and never having worn a rucksack, right? And they would talk about all of this stuff. And I'd go, huh? And they'd talk about the FOB and the PCS and the LMNOP. And I'm like, what are y'all talking about? Speak English. Right? I'm like, seriously. Until one time, no, I can't even make this up in a small group. Uh, a, a people, uh, Everybody in the small group, I think, was military. And they gave me the, the, the books that they, gave, that they give, I guess, um, Wives in the Military, you know, the Wives Military Handbook. And in the back, it has all the acronyms. And they gave it to me. And I'm like, what are you saying, you know? But I learned it, and, I, and I'm still learning. I just am because, man, the, the learning curve is so high. But I love ministering to the military. But let me tell you, it's messy. And let me tell you the reason why. It's because about every year, we have to say goodbye to a lot of people who go off for nine months or 12 months and, and through deployments, and families are separated, and husbands are separated from the children, and moms are separated from their children. And then I've even seen couples who are both in the military who get separated at the same time, and then what happens to the kids? It's just messy. And, and I, you know, I've come to, I mean, I know, I think you guys know this as well. You just kind of come to cringe when it comes to deployment time. Man, it's just, it's just messy. And then, the, then the, not only the deployments, then there's PCS, and that's permanent change of station. That's where Uncle Sam picks you up and says, okay, we're gonna, you're going to go to Fort Huachuca, Fort Hood, Fort, probably not Benning, but Fort, um, you know, Fort Bragg, some of these other places, right, that you go, and it's just like, and, and, and people that you love and that you've hung out with and that you've built relationships with, leave. And they're happy when they're smiling and we have tears in our eyes because we love these people. And it's just messy. Man, this is interesting. We lose 40% of our church every year. Mainly, and many of those are because of PCSing. So we lose almost half of our church. Um, it's just messy. In fact, while I'm talking, I'm going to show you some pictures of like some of the people that's been in our church. In fact, there are whole frames of whole shots that everybody's gone. 
Everybody's gone. And I can tell you names uh, of who's in Washington, D.C., who's stationed in Washington State. In the, he's stationed in Hawaii, right? He's suffering for Jesus. Andy, Andy Wargo's suffering for Jesus in Hawaii. And, uh, and it's just like, oh, you know, and, and, you, get, and you, you love on these people. It's just, it's, just, it's just messy. But gosh, you're so awesome. They're fantastic folks. And, and, and I love being a part of this church because, get this, as you're watching this, listen to this. We've had over 6,000 people come through the doors at one church over the past seven years. That's amazing. That's amazing. And the reason why is many times, that's my son Bing, by the way. Um, uh, and, and, and the reason why is we're just a fast-moving stream. I had this one chaplain. His name was Tom. His wife's name was Jerry. Isn't that funny? Tom was a chaplain of fifth group. And uh, Tom had been a pastor in, in Colorado, and he described one church this way. It's like a class six raging rapids. Here's a video of a class six raging rapids. Let me tell you what a class six rapids is. It's unrunnable. You shouldn't do it. Somebody's going to get hurt. It's waterfalls, it's traps, uh, it's boulders, it's running so fast. And he said, one church, the way one church is set up, and the people you guys have come in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, it's like a class six rapids. He says, all the churches I've pastored, it's like this calm, uh, placid um, lake behind a dam, and everybody just kind of hangs out there for years. That's not one church. And he's exactly right. Uh, we have people in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. In fact, I, no lie, uh, Jamie's sitting over here. All right. Hello, Jamie. How you doing? I, I didn't really know Jamie's name until about a year and a half, two years ago. And I said, Jamie, uh, hey, thanks for coming to One Church. And she says, I've been here since we've been at the movie theater five years ago. And I'm like, oh. I'm an idiot, right? Because sometimes it's so hard to get to know people because there's always new people in and out, in and out, in and out. But I know Jamie now. Hey, Jamie, how you doing? Anyway, here's the thing. It's just, it's just messy. The average one church person, 24 years of age, probably has some piercing or some tattoos, some places that maybe you can see or maybe not see. Um, there were, they maybe on their first or second marriage, some on their third they have children or stepchildren. They uh, um, maybe have an affair. They uh, maybe a couple living together. It's just messy. The thing I want to encourage all of us today is let me tell you, Jesus loves messy people. If you're here today and you're kind of hanging out with us from a different church and, you're, and your life is perfect, we love you. God bless you. That's not us. It's just not. I think we have this idea that we think, you know what? Jesus can only love the perfect people. And that's not me. So evidently Jesus can't love me. That couldn't be any farther from the truth. Jesus loves everyone, especially the messes. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, if you have your phone, you can go on version and you can follow along on the notes on there and interact through some questions. But we're going to be looking at Jesus and how he interacted with someone who was pretty messy, pretty messy. Before we dig into it, let me give you the first principle. There's two principles I want to draw out of the, these verses that if for us as a church, 
If we're going to continue to reach messy people, and if we're going to continue to step up and actually love everyone, we're going to have to see like Jesus saw. We're going to have to see like Jesus saw. Can you say that with me? We have to see like Jesus saw. We have to see other people the way Jesus saw them. Jesus it happens, it happens this way in John chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus said, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, here's the thing. What's so interesting about that is Jesus really didn't have to go through Samaria. He, there was actually three different routes Jesus could have taken. He could have went around Samaria. He could have went around the coast of Samaria. But let me tell you the reason why Jews did not go to Samaria. Because Samaritans hated the Jewish people, and Jewish people hated Samaritans. There were some racial tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated one another because of the race. Now, I just want to stop right there. I remember not so long ago, growing up in the South, where many people hated one another because of their race. In fact, we just celebrated Martin Luther King Jr., his birthday, and one of his most famous speeches that I want to grow up in a country where my children are judged not on the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. One of the things I love most about this church is that we are not a white church, we're not an African-American church, we're not a Korean church, we're not a Chinese church, we are a church filled with a lot of different people. Let me tell you, one of my mentors used to say this, Tony Evans. He says, the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And that should not be. I remember, I, I remember um, growing up uh, in a church across the river and, and, and just, you know, an interracial couple would come in. They'd be asked to leave. Let me tell you what that's called. That's called sin biblically. Church should not do that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say a person can't, Marry this person because of skin color. It's not in there. It's not in there. Well, let me tell you what the Bible does say. Y'all going to get me preaching here in a sec. I need to stay on target. It does say a Christ follower should not marry a person who does not know God. That's the only way. That's it. So, and I, and I remember going to the South. I used to tour in this tour group and went to First Baptist Church of Jackson, Mississippi. And we had an a, a African-American named Jerome playing French horn in our band. And they asked us to leave because Jerome was a part of our band. And I, here's what I did. I said, we're leaving. Get on out. Because let me tell you, racism has no place in the church. If we're going to clap, we need to just go ahead and do it. Just saying. Racism has no place in the church. I'm so grateful that we have a church that's just not known for, okay, you know, we're this or that. We're just everyone. Jesus shows up and it says he had to go through Samaria. Look at this. It says, I had to go through Samaria on the way. And and, and then verse 5 and verse 6, it says this. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, there near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. What time was it? Quick question. How many of y'all have ever been to, like, to the Middle East? Anyone? Okay, so some, most of our soldiers have. If you had a choice between doing manual labor 
early in the morning, at noontime, or late at night, which one would you not choose? There you go, right? Noontime. I remember I had soldiers tell me that in Iraq, in the shade, it was 120 degrees. Oh, my gosh. I think that might be hell. <clears throat> Here's the thing. That this woman, was, she was gathering water at noontime, tells you and I something. That she didn't want to be around the other people who was hanging around the well in the morning and in the evenings. There was something about her past, something about her reputation. There was something about her messiness that caused people not to want to be around her and for her not to want to be around other people. Yet, verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. That's really unusual that she would draw water at noon. And it's even more unusual that that Jesus would even speak to her because Jews did not speak to Samaritans. Men did not talk to women in that day. This is interesting. Ladies, women in the ancient world were viewed as property, not as people. If you're a woman here today, what you need to understand is that the role of women was elevated, elevated by what Jesus did. You see, it wasn't until Jesus showed up that teachings started coming out, you should love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That didn't exist before Jesus. In fact, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, you can go to places of the world today and religions of the world today that suppress women. And that is not biblical, and Jesus never did that. In fact, I was reading in uh, one of my son's newsletters this past week about Malayla um, and how she was shot uh, going to school in Pakistan because the Taliban did not want women to get an education. Jacked up. That's not Jesus. That's not the, the religion of the Bible. That Jesus valued women. That Jesus honored and calls us to honor and treasure women. Now, so soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Jesus reaches across racial lines, reaches across gender lines, reaches across cultural lines, and engages her in a conversation. And that is why he had to go through Samaria. It wasn't a, geogra a geographical had to. He had to go through Samaria, Samaria because he knew there was a woman there who was lost from God. And let me tell you, lost people matter to God. And if lost people matter to God, then lost people should matter to his church. I love that because you can't have a relationship with someone that you care about and not care about what they care about. And if we say we have a relationship with God, then we have to care about what he cares about. And what he cares about is to seek and to save those who are lost. He cares about people who are far from God. So maybe we just need to pray. Maybe the one thing you hear from me today is this. You just need to pray, God, help me see people the way you see people. Now, the second thing I want to learn about this and this next one is a big one. We have to be willing to get uncomfortable. We have to be willing to get uncomfortable if we're going to keep on reaching people. Here's the thing about this. I got a confession to make. Y'all ready? I love comfort. All right? If you're a man, you love comfort too. Ladies, I don't understand y'all. You will buy high-heeled shoes that are three sizes too small because they look good. I don't understand that. Half the time, I can't wear shoes, Right? I don't want to wear shoes, but you will buy shoes that like, and you're like, look, 
Look at, they look so good. Look at it, right? No, you can't walk, right? Guys, we like comfort. I, some of the worst words that I could hear is my wife, and she told me this like three weeks ago. She says, Chris, your wardrobe needs an overhauling. We're going shopping. And I wanted to like cuss right there. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go shopping. Why? Because when I find something I like, it's comfortable, Right? I mean, I, I, I love sweatpants, right? I don't, I don't teach in them, but if I could get away with it, I would, right? You can wear them, totally fine. I just, I like, I mean, I just, I love comfort. But let me tell you, even though I like comfort, let me, if we're not careful, comfort can keep us away from what Jesus cares about. Comfort can actually steer us away from what Jesus cares about if we're not careful. Jesus' cause and his mission is greater than my comfort. You hear what I'm saying? Some of you, your biggest struggle is like, well, I don't want to do this, you know, if this, and if I see that person, that. Let me tell you, God calls us out of our comfort zones. He always does. And I'm so blessed and so thankful that I worship a God who is not obsessed with his comfort. Because he was obsessed with people who were far from God, so much so that he sent his son, Jesus, from heaven to earth because he didn't care about his comfort. God doesn't, never calls us to comfort. He calls us to be uncomfortable. And what's so cool about that? He says this. He doesn't say, pick up your mattress and follow me. Right? He says, pick up your what? Cross and follow me. Right? That's so huge. The way we grow spiritually is by embracing the uncomfortable. So what's making you uncomfortable? I mean, it, what, what's uncomfortable? It, I think it was uncomfortable for Jesus to be able to talk to this woman. It, it definitely made her feel uncomfortable. In fact, we're going to see this, all right? As uh, soon as Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And then he starts having this conversation about water and things of this nature. And, and listen to how she responds, verse 10. Jesus said, if you only knew... Who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. And then she responds, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And then, listen to how uncomfortable this is. Jesus says, go and get your husband. Jesus told her, and she responded, I don't have a husband. And the woman replied, And then Jesus said, you are right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. This was uncomfortable. Jesus called her out. This was an uncomfortable conversation. This messy Samaritan woman had been trying to find her identity and who she was in sexual relationships, in romantic relationships. And lady, there may be some ladies here that that's exactly where you've been. Your idea is this. If I could just find someone to love me and never let me go, then I would be complete. And you need to know this. Nothing could be farther from the truth because he cannot make you complete. God is the one who makes you complete. And how you see yourself, how God sees you. Verse 26. Then Jesus revealed to her this. He told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, 
What do you want with her? Or why are you even talking to her? It's so funny. It's hard for religious people to understand the agenda for Jesus. It just is. It's hard for religious people to understand the agenda of Jesus. Why? Because religious people want to make a point. Jesus always came to make a difference. Let me tell you on this one. We can spend all of our time and get sidetracked as a church and talk about politics and let's start, let's start picking and stuff and holding up signs. No, that's making a point. Jesus never made a point. He made a difference. That's the reason why he came to this earth. That is the exact reason. And the thing of it is, we're going to have to figure out, are we, be, are we going to be willing to make a difference? And well, let me tell you what it means to make a difference. That means you have to get messy with messy people. Sometimes you're going to get messy and it's going to get complicated. And that's exactly what happened and where Jesus lived. Not to make a point, but to make a difference. All right, look at this. I love this. Verse 28. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well. Let's stop right there. Why was the woman there in the first place? To get water. Exactly right. In fact, in the Middle East, water is the source of life. If you don't have water, you don't have life for much longer. You just don't. She totally forgot why she's out there. Why? Because she found something more important. She found the source of who she was, and it wasn't in that well. It was in Jesus Christ. Keep on reading. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. By the way, what, the reason why she was there at noontime is because she didn't want to see anyone. She met Jesus, and now she's telling everyone. I love that. And by the way, had she had any schooling? Had she been to seminary? Had she read the Bible through? No. Let me tell you what she did do. She met Jesus. You see, some of our biggest fears, if we start talking to somebody about it, what if they ask, you know, why does bad things happen to good people? Or, you know, what about uh, in Genesis chapter 6 when this happens? Or what about in Revelation 28? And what about, what about, what about, what about? What about second opinions, 32? Right? Here's the thing. Most people aren't going to ask us any of those questions. They're just not. We just need to say, come and see a man. That's what she says. Look at this. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She goes to the very people she had been trying to avoid because of her shame in her past. And by the way, newsflash, all the people in town knew what she had been doing. She had posted on Facebook the night before. She had already, she, she already talked about that spring break from last year. All, everybody knew. It was no secret. And then she asked the question, could, she asked, could he possibly be a Messiah? So the people came streaming. Everybody say streaming. Streaming from the village to see him. Look at this. One woman who was a mess, who had a reputation, met Jesus, goes back into the village, tells everybody, and everybody comes streaming out to see Jesus. We have to see like Jesus saw, and we have to be willing to get uncomfortable. And if we're able to do those two things, really, what does that mean for us as a church? Well, here's what I believe. I believe this. God has never called the people of God, and he's never called the church to step back, but he's called us to step up. So today, we are starting the Step Up Initiative. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about over and over and over is what God is going to be doing with us and through us over the next 10 years, over the next 5 years, and over the next 2 years. For the little time I have with you, let me explain what that looks like. 
Let me talk about our step up initiative and what it looks like in the next 10 years. Here's the thing. I've already shared with you this. 85% of our church is military. We lose 40% of our church every year. And one of the things that we hear all the time at one church is we'll have a couple who will go and they will PCS to a new base and they say, is there a one church here? Is there a church like you guys? And one of the things we usually do is I'll get online and I'm like, okay, there might be one here. This kind of looks like it kind of shares our same values. But a lot of times, you know, I can't find nothing. And one of our goals in the next 10 years is we want to figure out where the majority of our soldiers and their families are moving to from Fort Campbell to whatever army base and for us to start a one church at and around that army base. So if it's Fort Benning, if it's Fort Bragg, if it's Fort Hood, whatever that is, that we start a one church that has our same vision, our same why we do what we do, the, the same style of music, different people, of course. But we want to create an environment where we believe that anyone and everyone can come to God. And we want to figure out where that's at. And over the next 10 years, we want to start a one church across state lines and be able to be able to reach people wherever they're at. Imagine you're you're in the military, maybe you're a husband or a wife of a military person, you move from Fort Campbell, and you go to that next place, and there's a one church there, and they know that you're coming. They help you unpack, they help you get everything kind of worked out, and it's different people, but we've called ahead and said, hey, by the way, you know, Kyle and Jessica, they're good at this, and this, and this, and they're going to Fort Carson, and you know what, there is a one church waiting on them. Imagine how that, would, how that could impact families. I love that. That's where we're going over the next 10 years. Now, in order for us to do that in 10 years, we've got to figure out, before we start a church across state lines, we've got to figure out how to chart a, start a church across town. So here's the thing. In the next five years, it's our goal to start another one church around this area. Now, here's the thing. I just read this statistic online that most people are only willing to drive 15 minutes to be able to go to church. Because again, if they don't know anything about God, you know, if it's not easy and accessible, they just won't go. So we want to figure out areas of this town that there's not like churches like us. There's a lot of great churches out there, kind of have our same vision and mission, but where there's not like, and where a place that's growing, and our staff has already got together and said, you know what, what about this old movie theater on Madison Street? Or what about, you know, what if we went over like towards Sango? Or what if we went into the new movie theater that's getting going to pop up by Fort Campbell Boulevard? We've already been looking around. Not only that, this is what's so freaking cool about this. We've already set up our staff structure so that when we become one church that meets in two different locations, we already have a fully staffed at both of those. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Right now, we have two student pastors. You know one of them, Dave Thompson, the man with the beard. Come on, baby. I, I, I tell you, when I, when, that was you, wasn't it? Dave's cheering for himself. I like me. I like me. Brittany, do you like him? All right, I like him too. Different way, though. All right, here's Dave. Let me tell you, another one of our student pastors, Cheryl Mack. All right? She beats you, Dave, just saying. Anyway, 
Both of them are fantastic, and I'll cheer for both of you. All right, they are awesome. They are awesome. So when we're able to go multi-site, Dave can go to one location, Cheryl can be at another. Let me tell you another one. We have two children's pastors. Here's Katie Shelby. Katie is fantastic. I love Katie to death. Her and Isaac are awesome people. If you've not met him, fantastic. She is over our wonderland. She's over all of our babies, all right? Let, let me tell you, this is Heather Surowski. Heather is over our K through fifth grade. Heather and Brian have been at one church like for eons, right? Now, here's the cool thing about this. We've already got this staff structure so that in the next five years, when we become one church meeting in two different locations, we can put Katie at one place, Heather at one place, and we can revolve them. This is what gets me excited. We've never done this. But now, today, we have hired not one, but two worship pastors. Let me introduce you one. This is Michael Lardizabal. You've already met him. Michael is amazing. Love Michael. Let me show you a, a, a picture. That's Michael, what he used to hear. Look at that hair. I told Michael, one of the things, if you, if you come on staff at one church, you've got to grow that out. Because I can't. Hair, hair club for men ain't working for me. But it works for that dude, right? He's like a chia pet, all right? So Michael, I'm expecting Michael to grow that hair out. Where you at, Michael? Anyway, get growing. All right, but let me, sh- let me introduce you to our next worship pastor. This is Justin Tucker. And you've not met Justin yet because his first day is going to be February 10th, 11th. Um, he is telling his church today that he is leaving. Justin is an amazing man of God. This is him and his wife. His wife is totally passionate about children's ministry. And Justin and Michael are joining us. And now we have two student pastors, two children's pastors, and now two worship pastors. Why? For two reasons. Number one, when we do go one church, meeting in multiple locations, we've got the staff. But here's the more important reason. Is we have hired our staff not to do a job, but to build a team. And let me explain what I mean by that, because I've got to be honest with you. This is something that I and we have done a very poor job up to this point. We expect every person in our church, we, we need to be three deep. Let me explain what I mean to it. All right, I got Austin over here. Austin did a great job playing piano this morning. We need two more Austins. Because while Austin's playing the piano this week, we want to get the next person playing the piano next week so we don't burn out Austin. Some of you know, maybe you weren't the piano player, but you worked in babies, and you got burned out because you worked for six years. We want to be three deep so that we have Austin and Jim and Bill all playing the piano so that we're revolving, and once we go multi-site, we're able to have a band to be able to sustain that. So one of the things I'm evaluating our staff on this year is we've got to build teams. We've got to build teams. And that means we need you to take some ownership and say, you know what? I'm done spectating. I'm done being a consumer. All of that's fun. I need to step up. I need to step up and join a team. So that is our five-year plan. Let me tell you our two-year plan. In the next 24 months, one of the things that we've been actively doing and that we're seeking in the next two years is that we want to be in a permanent facility. And let me explain what that means and what it doesn't mean. What that means is this. We are looking either to, to find or buy or somebody to give us land and for us to build a building on or for, for us to be able to find land with an already existing building and for us to be able to renovate that. 
Now, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. So many times people come to me and say, Chris, when are you going to become a real church? And now what that means is this. When are you going to get a building and get, do the steeple thing and all that stuff? When are you going to do that? And let me tell you, we're a real church right now. We have seen 850 people come to know Christ over the past seven years. We've seen 6,000 people come through this. We've seen over 350 people baptized. That just is awesome. That blows my skirt up, right? Can I say that in church? Anyway, but that's that's what they mean. Let me tell you, we don't just need a building to have a building so that we can be like everybody else. I don't care about ever being like anybody else. But let me tell you what we do, what we feel like God is leading us towards. We want to have a facility where we can serve this community. The average church building lays dormant for 90% of the time. They only use it two hours on Sunday morning. And then the rest, you have this wasted space. We are looking to find a facility or to build a facility and not even call it a church. Call it an event center, community center, and we want people in there every day of the week. We want people in there just hanging out at this facility, people who know nothing about God. In fact, I'm going to introduce a good friend of mine, Maria Drotty. Maria, she is uh, in charge of a 501c3 organization called ArtLink. And uh, ArtLink, come on, bring her up. I'll tell you a little bit about what ArtLink is. Actually, she'll tell you about it. But we're wanting to partner with ArtLink so that we can be able to see things happen after school with children and with families so that they just we are able to serve this community in the facility that God has called us to. So stand up, Maria. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just going to sit down instead. No, um, God has really placed a burden on my heart for this community and... I have seen stuff from all over the place. I've lived a million different places, but the most recent is in Nashville. And I've worked at a place called Rocket Town, and I don't know if you guys have heard of it at all, but it's a community center, and what it does is it provides a program for whatever walks in the door. And after working there and do, and working with the people there and seeing the passion and just being able to minister to whatever walks in the door, this is something that we need here. We have so many people that live here. It's such a diverse community. Why do we not serve them more than we do? Like, we're called to love. We're called to serve. So this is the perfect opportunity for each and every one of us to have a place like this. We are growing exponentially, and we need to be able to support everybody that comes here so then they can develop their their gifts and their talents and their passions. Because right now, what do we do? We go to school And then the next important thing is going to school again and then getting maybe a minimum wage job and hopefully making it. And that's boring. That's, that's, that shouldn't be like that. We have gifts and we have passions and they shouldn't be ignored, right? We should be able to support them. I work with the students on Wednesday night and they have so many ideas and so many things that they want to do, but where are they going to do them? Um, My son, he's six and he loves a skateboard. Rocket Town provides a skate park, and it's a free and it's safe environment for him to do something like that. Why can't we have something like that here? And that's what we want to do. So this facility that we're sort of kind of creating, we, um, we got a little witty with the name. We kind of want to call it One Squared because we're not just a church anymore, but we're still one church. It's squared. We have so many more aspects and so many more sides. So every single day of the week, 
whatever walks in the door, we'll provide a program for it. If you want to do art, we'll make an art class. If you want to learn how to knit, we'll make a knitting class. If you want to learn how to draw or skateboard or play basketball, whatever you want to do, whatever age you are, that's what we're going to do at this place. Um, and the last thing that I want to say is ArtLink already exists. Um, it started last year, and we right now are partnering with the Customs House Art Museum. And every month we have an art class. It's free, and it's all ages. The next one is February 27th, so if any of you are interested, this time we're painting T-shirts. And then we give those T-shirts to families that need clothing. So it's not just, it's always giving back is really what we're trying to do, is just keep giving back to the community. And after service, I have some cards and Katie Matthews and I will be giving them out. So if you have, she's right there, Katie. So if you have any questions or you want to talk to us, you want to be involved, I want you to be involved. We want as many people as possible to be involved. So come find us and talk to us for sure. Let's give it up for Maria. Thanks, Maria. <clears throat> so what we're asking you to do, and every, every one of you guys should have gotten a, a card once you got in called uh, Step Up. And uh, we're not going to ask you to fill anything out today um, because I don't ever want to do anything out of guilt. That's not our church and that's not me. But here's what I'm going to be asking you to do. Over the next two to three weeks, I'm going to ask you to be asking God what he wants you to do to be able to step up and to become an owner here at One Church. For some of you, that just may mean that you need to start giving. And again, I, I, y'all have heard my giving story before. Uh, we have, my wife and I, we've been the Christians and the people on staff at other churches that didn't give, and we made excuses. And it was only until kind of God got up in my grill and in our business and said, you know, are you really going to start doing this? And we said, okay, I guess we will. Um, but uh, it's a step of faith. For some of you, you just need to just start giving anything. You know, others of you, you need to start giving a percentage. So, you know, okay, God calls everybody who's a, 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 a person who's growing in Jesus Christ to give 10%. And that's what we're going to ask our people to do. That's what I'm doing. That's what we're asking all of our leaders to do. Uh, so, and maybe that. But others, you just say, you know what, I'm willing to take a step and I'm going to join a team and I'm going to serve. However that looks, I want you to grab the, one of these cards and I just want you to pray about it. And if God already gives you a number, you can put that in the, in the red boxes. But I really would prefer you not write anything down today. Uh, over the next few weeks, I and some of our staff are going to be going to small groups. We're going to be asking and answering questions you guys may have of this next stage of our church. But I am crazy stoked about this because I believe God always calls the church to step up, not to step back. So as I close today, we're going to close in two different ways, all right? I'm, I'm going to give you a challenge at the very end. We're going to watch a video, and then y'all are going to be dismissed. But before I do that, I would just want to read for you guys just the vision that, um, that God has laid on my heart uh, of where we're going to be going over the next decade. And I want to read this because I don't want to mess it up. So uh, it's kind of lengthy, um, so hang out with me for a second. In fact, here's what I'm going to ask you to do so that nobody's distracted. It won't be too weird. If you can just kind of lean back and just kind of close your eyes a little bit and just listen. Um, so, all right. We want to be a church in a place where the community hangs out. I see a place where we do concerts on the lawn and gigs on the grass, where secular bands come and play, similar to what Jazz on the Lawn does at Beach Haven Winery. We want to have a place where people who are far from God can come and hang out with Christians and actually 
enjoy it and like it. I see a skateboard park. I see students who don't really fit in anywhere else come to hang out in a safe place after school where they can skate and grind and get help with homework and where we provide mentors to help boys become men, where we teach boys what it means to do manhood, how to treat girls, how to change the oil, how to lead, and even more importantly, how to follow. We want to provide female mentors to help girls become women who treat others with kindness, how to dress with humility, how to see themselves as God sees them with value. We want to show them how not to use sex to get what they want, but to teach them that sexual purity paves the way to intimacy later. That is our dream. I see a place where we provide a school of worship, where musicians from all over Clarksville and even Nashville can come and learn how to play better, how to lead worship, how to be able to lead teams and to work on music styles and write songs so that with our multi-campuses, we're able to staff those with some of the best and finest creative musicians in the country. I see a place where soldiers and their families are loved on, a place that helps people through the healing of PTSD, a place where we help men and women who struggle with porn addiction. I see a place where we can connect with people who are trying to start a family. We connect them with children who have no family. I see a place where we can care for the orphans, that we show people how to foster children and even how to adopt children, and a place where we can help make that happen and fund that happening. I see a community. I see a people beyond measure. I see a culture of faith, hope, and love where people come to believe truly belong and start to become. I see Jesus. I see his hands, his feet, his eyes, and his tears. I see people who have entered the kingdom of God and have discovered what it means to live out that in everyday life. I see a day where every soul in Clarksville is just one friend away from the one church community. This is our dream. I see a caring community. I see a place where everyone matters and no one stands alone. I see authenticity and acceptance. I see a place where people don't have to put on plastic fake smiles and cover up their problems or their issues. I see a place where thousands of people are in community groups who live by the principle, know and be known. Love and be loved. Accept and be accepted. I see people doing their lives together and not apart. I see firsthand the power of honesty and the strength of togetherness. I see dirty, scary neighborhoods transformed by the love of a single community group. I see a soldier's wife whose husband is deployed being loved on in her community group. I see men from one church able to take out children from one church whose husband is deployed and just go out and hit the ball and love on them. I see a community group come together and do yard work and construction on a deployed soldier's house to a family who needs love and care. I see sharing. I see houses that are shared, food and clothes that are shared, time and money that are shared. I see a culture where everything is viewed as a kingdom tool and held loosely with grateful hands. I see children playing together and learning together from their parents' example of what it means to be in a caring community. I see isolated people connected with friends with whom they now do life together. I see a grown man weep for the sins for his first time. I, I see and watch his friends hold him. I see an elderly woman laugh 
for the first time in years as she covers her mouth and her eyes are filled with joy. I see people's lives being transformed by the greatest healing force in the universe, the unconditional love of Jesus and the unconditional love of Jesus' people. I see people healing of drug addicts, healing alcoholics, healing egotists, healing sex addicts, healing people suffering with emotional problems, healing marriages that are just one step away from divorce. I see him healing sinners, which we are all. I see a bigot holding the hand of someone who's a homosexual and loving them and doing life together and putting their arm around them and saying, I'm willing to struggle with you through all of this. I see someone that must personally choose loneliness over community so much so because they've been bombarded with love from this local church from every turn in every neighborhood. That is our dream. I see an expressive community. People who are richly express the love in their hearts to God. I see creativity, song, art, imagination, freedom, mystery, and prayer melt together in a mosaic of worship. I see people on their knees. I see people worship in a passionate and deep, intense in an original way. I see dramatic sketches that are funny, emotive, and targeted. I see our children singing songs and dancing together, learning hand motions, who go home and teach their parents that they've learned, and they actually sing for the first time around their kitchen table. I see grown men and women discovering what it means to really worship. I see accountants and lawyers behind easels. I see algebra teachers reading poetry. I see artists swinging hammers to build homes in Africa. I see a carpenter give water to a homeless child in China. I see mystery. I see story. I see creativity. I see beauty. This is our dream. I see a serving community where we take the community that we are experiencing and we turn it outwards. I see sweat and I see tears. I see callous hands that resemble the hands of Jesus. I see workers and builders and advocates. I see the poor esteemed. I see the elderly revered and the youth protected. I see a targeted ministries to prostitutes, pimps, and porn peddlers. I see truckloads of clothes and sandwiches for the homeless. I see a house that is 24-7 open for the poor and the abused. I see people learning together how to trust. I see an abandoned elderly lady dying in the arms of a changed and redeemed bigot. I see millionaires living on a teacher's salary. I see rich housing the poor. I see a village in Africa among the Bisa people group where doctors, nurses, teachers, and soldiers from one church serving there every year. I see the children of one church as grown-ups, my children. I see them, and when I look at them, I see missionaries ministers and risk takers for the kingdom of God. I see a day when one church has multiple campuses overseas so when soldiers and their families get orders to go to Germany or Korea, one church is already there. That we literally are one church meeting in multiple locations. I see one church planning a church in Clarksville community over the next five years as we send some of our staff and people to go out and start a church where there are no churches in Clarksville. Church in Sango, a church back in a movie theater. This is our dream. I see a growing community. I see thousands and tens of thousands. I see a 12-year-old girl weeping as she baptizes her father. 
I see aged parents on their knees thanking God for the return of their prodigal. I see an ex-prostitute sharing her newfound faith with her drug-dealing boyfriend. I see thousands of of people baptized in just one night. I see a day when having multiple services and multiple theaters at the same time because we just can't get everybody in the same room. And now we're pointing a church and sending people literally all over the world because that is what we do. I see Christ with a hammer in heaven, with one eye on this revival in Clarksville, that he is building mansions at a feverish pace, trying to keep up with those who are daily coming to faith in him. I see the end. I see us all in heaven, in this celestial chamber, where we hear him speak the words, well done, good and faithful church. You were trusted with a little, and now you will be in charge of much. Enter into your reward. And I see your face there. You are rested. You are fulfilled. You are smiling. When you look around the room at the thousands who who might have faced a bitter eternity without our effort, we weep for joy. At the same time, we both say the statement in unison. We look to each other and we whisper, it was worth it. It was worth it. Smile. Then God smiles at us. That is our dream. You can open up your eyes. Ladies, gentlemen, that's the type of church we want to become. And what I'm asking you to do today is to partner with us so that we can be able to make that dream reality. Because really, what kind of church do you want to be a part of? Do you want to remain comfortable? Will you make church all about you? Or are you willing to step up and say, you know what? This vision, this dream is bigger than me. It's been bigger than any of us for the past seven years. We've seen 6,000 people come through these doors. And what does the future hold for the next seven years?